everybody, it is Tuesday, January 21st, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, on today's episode, you're still going to hear me a little bit under the weather. I've got a dry cough, but at least I can hear in both ears. Uh, so I might uh, sound like I'm choking once in a while in some of these stories. Uh, in the news segment, we do a little bit of an electric vehicle news roundup, including stories about a new Hummer, a Volkswagen, uh, a small electric car startup uh, in Europe, and of course, our friends at Tesla. Lots of news to talk about with Tesla. Uh, in the car culture segment, I want to touch on some similarities between a brand new Hyundai that is launching here in 2020 that reminds me a lot of a Kia that first got sold in 2008. And in the car whatever thing, we touch on electric vehicle car charging. Uh, once again, as somebody who lives in an apartment, uh, the struggles with getting an electric car uh, might be solved with a new complex that's been built about a mile from my house. Uh, that's kind of exciting. So with all that and more, uh, this is the part where I remind you that we do the show, uh, well, when we do the episodes. Uh, we post the episodes first on Anchor, but then they go to Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if you like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you're on a platform that asks for podcast ratings, uh, if you could do that, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. And uh, yeah, with all that in mind, guys, right after the bump, we'll talk about some electric car news. Well, since it is a slow week in terms of car news, I figured it's as good a time as ever to do a quick electric vehicle check-in with where the news is at. Uh, first things first, uh, touching on the Scion Sono or Sono Scion. I can never get the name straight. Uh, electric car. It's uh, from Germany. It's based on its own proprietary chassis. Shares some bits and bobs with some other electric vehicles uh, that are manufactured in Europe. But... Uh, the key takeaway with this car is that it is a solar-powered uh, electric vehicle that you would potentially be able to buy uh, in a small dealer network across Europe. Uh, this company wants to really change the way that people think about electric cars in that they want them to be affordable uh, and capable, but also not be entirely dependent on an electric vehicle charging network because of those solar panels. Uh, the Sono Scion or Scion Sono, I think it's Sono Scion. That's the correct name. Uh, the company just raised 55 million dollar or 55 million euros online through some type of Kickstarter-like campaign. Uh, they are planning to be using this money to help spur development of the vehicle to the next steps beyond prototypes, uh, which have been rolling around in Europe for some time. Uh, they want to be able to get close to production within the next year or two, but, uh, you know, there's still a lot of challenges to be uh, had with that. And I think, you know, thinking of car companies like Tesla, uh, you know, Rivian, so many other ones, uh, <clears throat> you, you know that that hurdle is quite steep. Uh, but what I like about this car company is that uh, a lot of the people are quite young. They are talented engineers. They are thinking outside of the box in many ways. And, uh, you know, doing this solar panel type thing, uh, really nets some interesting thinking about electric cars in the future. Uh, namely, it's that these electric cars can, well, 
I'm going to use the word steel, steel from the sky, um, enough electricity during the day, just sitting out in the sun uh, to get you uh, about 19 miles of electric range. That's 30 kilometers. Uh, just sitting in your driveway or sitting in the office parking lot, uh, you would be able to do quick charge uh, with level two charging as well on the vehicle. I think they said total the vehicle would have about 100 miles of range give or take that seems to be about the bare minimum of most people's expectation these days um, but the other big thing is that because the car is extremely light because the car uh, uses some different workarounds in terms of like making it slower making it less capable of high speed uh, making it less overbuilt for the German Autobahn and instead more for uh, B roads uh, this car is going to be more affordable in the end and be able to be more uh, available to people of lower incomes who want to make better choices about electrifying their everyday car uh, instead of driving, you know, a very polluting 20, 30-year-old diesel car uh, in some cases. So it could be interesting. I, it's hard to say what's going to actually pan out in this. I don't think we're ever going to see the car in the United States just because of the way our infrastructure is made. Uh, but at least in terms of, you know, <clears throat> developing solar panels that can fit to a vehicle and actually add to the vehicle's charge, it's not something that we haven't seen before. Toyota's done it with the Prius in the past. Uh, but uh, it could spell for some interesting developments later down the road. Now, one of the other big stories that's been floating around for the past week or so has been that it looks like GM is going to be building an electric pickup truck. We know that, but their electric pickup truck is going to be branded as a Hummer and not as a GMC, as previously thought. Uh, originally, the plan drawn up, I think, uh, around this time last year, it was right after CES or the Detroit Auto Show, uh, GMC announced that they are developing an electric pickup truck. Uh, this was just before I think Ford had fully committed to it for the F-150. Uh, but GMC, you know, said that electrification is going to be their thing. They're going to be the electric pickup truck company. Chevy would stick to normal gas engines for now. Uh, but it looks like GM goes, ah, nope, not yet. Uh, and they're going to be rolling the Hummer brand back out. And basically the mindset is, you know, people... People who like Hummers still like Hummers. There are a lot of people who I think treat Hummers as a curiosity. I'm not talking about the big H1, uh, but the H2s and the H3s, uh, I think are a curiosity to some people. There's still some love and affection for that brand because they offered Jeep-like or Jeep-like capabilities, but with a GM badge on the side of the vehicle. And thinking of how popular Jeep is today, uh, it's somewhat surprising that uh, you know, Hummer died at all. Granted, it was all a bit of politics and so much else when GM had to liquidate as a company and was operated by the United States government for a short amount of time. <clears throat> but nevertheless, uh, Hummer's back, it sounds like. And the other main thing is going to be that, you know, if GMC builds this electric pickup truck themselves and puts the GMC branding on it and it's a total flop, uh, that's something that looks poorly on GM as a brand, and if this instead is on Hummer, a brand that's been dead since, what, 2008 or 2009, uh, if it flops, it's not that big of a deal. Hummer can go back into the closet and go away and be shelved for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I go, cool, the electric pickup trucks are happening, uh, potentially as early as next year, 
Uh, but on the bad side, Hummer's back. But on the good side, again, you know, uh, it, it could be an interesting development. You know, I, I count myself as one of the people who really liked the H3, who still like the H3, to be honest. Uh, I really like the H3T quite a bit. It was a pretty interesting pickup truck, uh, especially when you consider, like, the Jeep Gladiator of today. Uh, those two would basically go neck and neck. Uh, I think the Gladiator's a little more capable in the end, uh, but as a precursor to what we see now, uh, pretty interesting. And I would love to see GMC do something like the H3T again. Uh, you know, and I, it sounds like whatever thing they're developing would be a full-size pickup truck, uh, which is kind of surprising because it would potentially eat sales of the Sierra and the Silverado, but maybe they do a mid-size one. Who, who knows? It's hard to say, but uh, the, none of this has been officially confirmed by GM. Uh, a lot of it has been just, you know, eye-spying patents and trademarks and all these other things, so we probably will get a better idea of what's going to happen potentially as early as Chicago Auto Show uh, in February, um, but it might not be until later in the summer when uh, the big Detroit show is going on, so we'll have to see what happens there. <clears throat> in other news, uh, Tesla is in a bit of controversy right now, and a lot of this has to do with uh, complaints from folks talking about an unintended acceleration. Uh, apparently, there have been more than 500 complaints about this problem with Tesla vehicles, uh, including examples from all of the different models currently available. That would be the 3, the S, and the X. Um, and uh, Tesla is now being investigated by the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, that'd be NHTSA, uh, about these claims. Now, what I think is interesting about all of this is that, on the one hand, NHTSA's going, well, there's been... <coughs> Excuse me, NHTSA is saying that there's been enough claims. Clearly there's a pattern um, that this is, you know, this this has to be figured out. On the other hand, Tesla is going, you know, we've got the data. We can see what's going on. This is not an issue. This is a customer problem. Uh, and they are citing what happened with Toyota, you know, about 20 years ago, a little bit short of 20 years ago now, uh, with the unintended acceleration cases of the Toyota Camry. Now, if you don't remember what happened with the Camry, a lot of uh, elderly folks had been reporting uh, that the cars would unintendedly accelerate, causing accidents, crashing into buildings, uh, and in at least several cases, uh, causing the death of individuals, unfortunately. Um, but what it came down to was that floor mats weren't properly secured in the vehicle, and people were mistaking pedals for uh, other pedals. And... Toyota issued fixes and it redesigned the car not too long after that to kind of address some of these things. But, uh, you know, it was a problem. But the problem was not entirely Toyota's fault and not entirely the fault of individuals either. It was kind of somewhere in between. And there's a good chance that Tesla is kind of in the same boat right now. Uh, one of the people I follow on Twitter whose name I cannot remember at this point made an interesting uh, argument that, you know, we're basically giving these cars that have the equivalent of you know, 400, 600, 800 plus horsepower on tap to people who have zero driving experience uh, with a vehicle that can accelerate from zero to 60 in less than three seconds. Uh, even the slowest of Teslas still accelerate in around five seconds from zero to 60, which is lightning fast. Uh, really, anything faster than seven seconds to 60 is still pretty damn quick these days. And, you know, people... People are going to make mistakes. That's inevitable. 
you know, but people also expect Teslas to be able to solve their problems because of the way they communicate, communicate about their safety systems. And that also causes a problem because they assume that the car will stop itself or figure things out or, you know, handle uh, things in an emergency situation. And that is not necessarily the case either. So there's a lot of fingers being pointed. There's a lot of people, you know, arguing about what is a problem and what is actually a problem, what's not. And, you know, I even saw a thing today that suggested that this is all a conspiracy theory to get this Tesla stock price to tank because the people who've been shorting the brand are now really upset that the stock price is well over $500 uh, a share. And <clears throat> wow, like it, it, it's it's just a mess. And the Tesla discourse is never great. Uh, you know, it's one of those most toxic things out there. Uh, it's in every industry. It's in every part of every business these days. And unfortunately, uh, it's a problem that, you know, affects a lot of people, not just people who own the cars and are potentially, you know, in some in some way in harm's way. I don't really want to suggest that, but, you know, could have a potential issue. But at the same time, for Tesla, a company that's, you know, doing some good and interesting things, uh, albeit with a fair share of problems in the long run. So it's going to be interesting to see what turns out in this situation. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, not really a whole lot uh, really to kind of talk about for a little while there. And then last up on the electric car news front, uh, another story that we've been kind of following here on the Salvage Title podcast, uh, talking about... <coughs> Excuse me, uh, the Volkswagen ID3 and ID4. Uh, the ID3 and ID4, of course, are the first entrants of the MEB uh, Volkswagen electric platform. This is meant to be uh, their baseline electric vehicle, which eventually, more than likely, will be replacing. Uh, a lot of Volkswagen's vehicles all across the planet, uh, to some extent, including the Golf. Uh, Europe is getting the ID3 as we speak. Uh, this is a car that's going to be available with a wide range of battery sizes, powertrain options, performance options, uh, really all told. Uh, you could get one for very cheap. I think it's like right around 30,000 euros or less. Um, and that's before any government incentives, any assistance stuff, you know, these cars are meant to be pretty cheap, and they're meant to be, you know, an apology for the Dieselgate scandal. Um, here in the U.S., originally it was thought that we were going to be getting the ID3, but it turns out that is not the case, and we are getting the ID4 instead. Uh, the ID4 is, you know, it's like everything that's going on right now. Uh, it's a, you know, four-door, five-door hatchback, however you want to call it, uh, that is slightly lifted to look like a mini crossover, but it's not quite a crossover, but it's also not quite a car. Uh, the ID4 has been bumped around a bit in Europe, uh, but we, it looks like we are slated to see the official debut of the ID4 in April in New York. Um, more than likely, it's going to include a lot of information about battery sizes, performance options, so on and so forth. Uh, but the key takeaway, I think right now, is how much is Volkswagen going to mess this up? Uh, Volkswagen of North America has been in panic mode. Uh, really since the early 2000s. Uh, this is a car company that botched the launch of the MK4 products and had such a quality and refinement nightmare uh, that really the company's never recovered. Uh, this is a car company that cannot figure out 
uh, what the American market wants. This is a car company that missed the boat on crossovers and SUVs. Uh, this is a car company that tried to move upmarket at a time uh, where people didn't have enough money to spend on upmarket options, uh, especially at a car company that's always been viewed as a lower priced, uh, affordable car company. Like these people couldn't figure their way out of a paper bag and it is just a mess to say the least. So knowing that we're getting the ID4 as the first of the ID products, uh, there are some expectations that come with it. Namely, first of all, based on the ID3, I'm of the assumption that the ID4 should be relatively uh, affordable. And when I say the word affordable, I mean start with an MSRP before tax incentives, before any of that stuff of under $30,000. Uh, and I, you know, I know that that's going to come with a smaller battery and whether it's, you know, a 36 kilowatt hour battery or a 54 kilowatt hour battery, maybe even as small as a 24 kilowatt hour battery, <clears throat> there's got to be a way to make this car cheap and affordable and still have, you know, a hundred ish miles of range, uh, to kind of hit that lower priced consumer. And yes, I know the ID4 is probably going to cost more to manufacture than the ID3 just because SUV crossover stuff, but make it happen. Like, holy cow. Like, I, I, I get, I get that you got to make money. I get that you got to do whatever. But if you don't hit this mark, I, I don't know how you do it. And I don't know how you don't make it look like you're price gouging potential buyers in the US. My, I think my greatest worry right now is that Volkswagen's going to go, okay, we got to make a splash in the US. We got to give the car the most amount of range. We got to give the car the most amount of power. Um, let's only make it available uh, in a dual motor setup uh, with the biggest battery, the nearly 100 kilowatt hour battery. I think it's like 94 kilowatts uh, and make it, make it a $40,000 car. And with, with incentives and all these other things, it's going to hit $30,000 of people will buy it. Like that is just so backwards so against what needs to happen in the United States. Uh, I hope that Volkswagen doesn't handle it that way. But if they do, it's going to come off as like a really shitty way to move this new and exciting car. Uh, I, I just hope they don't blow it. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I don't know if Volkswagen is listening to consumer response already on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook and so much else. But I imagine a lot of people are already mad that the ID3 isn't going to be a thing and that they are going to arguably have to pay more for the ID4. Uh, but, you know, we shall see. So coming up after the bump, uh, we will talk a bit about the new Hyundai Venue, kind of in reflection of an older Kia cousin. <laughs> Well, here in the car culture segment, I wanted to talk a bit about a new vehicle that is launching here in the U.S. as we speak, and that is the 2020 Hyundai Venue. Now, if you're not completely aware with what the Hyundai Venue is, basically it is the smallest crossover available in the Hyundai lineup. Uh, it's been about a year since it got announced and unveiled. It's been on sale in parts of Asia and Europe uh, since the mid and late 2019 window. And uh, getting it here in the U.S. has been uh, an interesting thing. Uh, they did start popping up on dealer lots a few short weeks ago, uh, but the official launch was 
not even that long ago uh, down in Miami. And it's been interesting to see a lot of the video uh, and words being put out about the vehicle, uh, simply because it reminds me so much of the first generation Kia Soul. Now, thinking of the Kia Soul in particular, uh, it's important to remember that this car came out at a time where uh, boxy, youthful, uh, pragmatic, practical, uh, tiny cars were a thing. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say tiny cars, but this was when we were kind of coming off that Gen X uh, active lifestyle fun and excitement thing was uh, winding down and people were starting to try to figure out what was going on with millennials. So this was a time where we were coming off uh, PT Cruisers and HHRs. Uh, things like the Honda Element and the Scion XB were very popular. And uh, ultimately, the Kia ended up being the one that survived. Uh, the Soul sold exceptionally well in its early run. Uh, went into the second generation in 2014. Uh, we just got the brand new Kia Soul uh, as a 2020 model in 2019. And uh, ultimately, you know, the Soul looks like it's going to be around for quite some time. But the first generation Soul uh, is a car that I just recently spent uh, the better part of a week with. And it's a car that it's kind of remarkable in 20, excuse me, 2020 to think about how this car was really successful at all. Uh, when it was first launched in 2008, uh, it was panned by critics almost universally for having an exceedingly cheap and not very quality uh, interior uh, that rattled and squeaked and just felt terrible to the touch. Uh, Kia rushed to fix it by 2009 and then eventually ended up issuing uh, updates to the car every two years until the brand new car came out in 2014. Uh, the particular one that I drove was a 2011 model, which was one of the first update cycles after the launch uh, that had a little bit more standard equipment, had some updated uh, bits and bobs throughout the car. But ultimately, you know, it's a car that was cheap at the time. I think the actual window sticker on the car that we had was somewhere around seventeen dollars to $18,000 when new. Uh, it's a car that now with only 50,000 miles on it, uh, still would sell for about seven grand, which all things considered in terms of depreciation is pretty damn good for being about a decade old and uh, has a lot of things that, you know, are relatively speaking, uh, stuff that you would want in a modern vehicle. It has uh, power windows, power locks, ABS, traction control, uh, had a sunroof, it had, uh, I don't think it had heated seats, but you know, AC, it did have Bluetooth, but it's not audio Bluetooth. It's the old phone Bluetooth stuff. <coughs> but uh, in the end, you know, it's about what you think you would get in a base trim car these days. And I think that's interesting when you think about where the venue picks off. It's more or less the same standard equipment. Uh, you do get a standard 8-inch touchscreen in the venue. Uh, you do get uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto to kind of facilitate the uh, music streaming, the navigation stuff, things like that. Uh, you don't get, uh, you know, everything. You know, you got steel wheels. There's some active safety stuff that gets left off the base trim model. Uh, all things considered, though, for the 17 ish thousand dollars that that vehicle starts at, uh, you're in pretty good shape. Now, if we were to take the price of that 2011 Kia Soul, put it through the inflation calculator and get it up to where it should be at today, you're looking at right around $20,000. 
And to start, the SEL trim on the venue uh, includes a lot of the nicer things uh, that you would expect. It's got a little more uh, fashion on the exterior with actual alloy wheels. Uh, it gets the uh, snow mode uh, thing that will help in low traction situations. Uh, it gets a few more niceties in the interior. Uh, it gets the active safety systems. Uh, really, the only things that end up missing are the sunroof uh, and the various other accoutrements that comes with it. Uh, in the end, uh, a venue as equipped would run you <coughs> excuse me, just over $21,000, which is still a relative bargain. Uh, the only lingering thing there is that uh, you can select one more option box that ends up throwing in things like navigation on the touchscreen uh, on the center console. Uh, it includes Blue Link, which basically lets you use your uh, cell phone as a remote vehicle car starter uh, and do some other things with that. Uh, and it also includes heated front seats, which I think these days are a must-do. I don't know if I'm ever going to own a car without heated seats at this point. Uh, it seems like it's a no-brainer living in Michigan. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, all things being said, the venue is near enough the same size as the first-generation Soul. It's about an inch smaller, maybe three inches smaller in some regards. Uh, nearly imperceptible at that point what the size difference is. It can comfortably seat four adults. Uh, it can carry some things behind the rear seats. Not a ton. Uh, and in the end, you know, still gets uh, low mid-30s of miles per gallon. Uh, it comes with a 10-year warranty. Uh, it really just seems like a great deal for the price. And it reminds me not just of the first-generation Kia Soul, but of a car I like quite a bit, which is, of course, the Nissan Kicks. Now, both the Venue and the Kicks share a lot of things in common. They're based on a small car chassis. In case of the Venue, it's based on the same one as the Accent. For the Kicks, it would be the Nissan Versa Note. Both have 1.6-liter inline-fours that produce uh, low hundreds of horsepower. Uh, both are mated to CVT automatics, and both only come in front-wheel drive. Now, what I liked about the Kicks more than anything is that uh, for the twenty-three to $24,000, same price as the venue with every option box ticked, uh, you got leatherette seats, you got automatic climate control, you got uh, the Android Auto and Apple CarPlay integration, you got all the safety things. Uh, really, the only things missing from the two cars are radar cruise control, which again, isn't a deal breaker for a lot of folks, and it doesn't have uh, all-wheel drive as an option on either vehicle. It's front-wheel drive only. Uh, Nissan definitely plays up the sporty character with the kicks a little bit more versus the Venue, which I think is meant to be a little bit more of a style choice compared to the kicks, but both occupy really interesting spots in the market. Uh, Hyundai designed the Venue to have a little bit more rear seat space for passengers, thinking of people who are going to be taking their friends out to dinner or you know, commuting to a concert across across the state or across town or whatever, uh, versus the kicks where they're going for more of an active lifestyle vehicle where there's a lot more space in the trunk. It ends up having almost the same amount of cargo capacity as larger crossover choices like the Jeep Renegade, uh, even the Jeep Cherokee. Uh, it's got like 25 cubic feet, which is pretty big for a car its size, uh, whereas the venue I think is down around like 20 or 21. Uh, it's a noticeable difference, uh, to say the least. But uh, I, I really think it's, I don't know, it's curious. It's curious that these cars 
are retailing for about the same price as what a soul would have 10 years ago, uh, at least in terms of inflation. I think it's interesting that these cars kind of represent uh, different ends of the same solution uh, for first-time car buyers. I think it's interesting that $23,000 to $24,000 seems to be uh, the price, in air quotes, uh, of affordability, of at least well-equipped affordability these days in the same way that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, that would have been that seventeen dollars or $18,000. Uh, it just seems right in many ways. And as much as I balk at the uh, SUV and crossover vacation of small cars uh, across the board, uh, I have to admit, I really do like the clicks. I have a feeling that once I drive a venue, I'm going to really like the venue. Um, but it really comes down to personal taste and what you like. And as much as I do like Hyundai's and Kia's as of late, I think the Kia still, or excuse me, not the Kia, the Nissan still pulls on my heartstrings just a little bit more. Uh, it's partially the reason why the Nissan's been selling so well. And, uh, you know, it's not a huge surprise. So keep an eye out to see if you start seeing these pop up close to you. Like I said, I've only seen one, maybe two around here in West Michigan sitting on dealer lots so far. So uh, keep an eye out and let me know what you think. So last up in the car whatever section, I want to talk a little bit about electric vehicle charging. Uh, this is something I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast before, but things like this change from time to time as uh, new things come up near me here in the greater Grand Rapids area. And most specifically, I want to talk about electric vehicle charging at uh, apartments and townhomes. Uh, I have lived in an apartment since 2011, and I have been thinking about getting an electric car for the better part of the last three or four years. And the holdback has always been not the price of the cars, not the technology of the cars, but my ability to charge the car at home. There just isn't a simple way to run a power cord out of my apartment and into my electric car because, well, how, how do, you know? It's one of those kinds of things. And in the end, you know, I need to eventually get around to just flat out addressing my apartment complex and go, why don't you guys put in an electric car charger uh, for people who are interested? And I think the response would be, well, nobody's asked and we don't have any people who own electric cars in the neighborhood. And to that, they would probably be correct. Um, but there are grants here in the state through our electric utility companies, uh, including Consumers Energy and I think Detroit Edison as well, uh, who will pay to install electric vehicle chargers uh, in apartment communities uh, to, well, entice people to make better vehicle choices. Uh, the simple fact is that most people don't need to do a full level two charge every time they come home from work. Um, having previously worked in Holland for a, quite a while, uh, I would have been in that category where I would need the level two charge every single day. Uh, but most people, they come home to their regular house, <clears throat> they could plug in a 110 uh, and just trickle charge on and off throughout the week and probably keep the car at a pretty decent battery level and maybe, you know, pop by a faster charger while they're out and about doing some shopping or other things. But they would be able to get to and from work pretty easily uh, in most cases. And it's just it's it's frustrating to see stuff like that when there are options uh to make better choices in our community and 
companies just aren't willing to make that. And the same thing goes for employers as well. There are tax breaks and incentives for employers to provide electric vehicle chargers uh, for their employees to encourage them to buy electric vehicles. Again, a lot of places aren't making those choices because either A, employees don't drive electric cars, and B, people probably aren't asking uh, so that they can make that choice. But at the same time, having worked for a pretty large company, uh, they would probably just go, why the hell would you even ask in the first place? And uh, there were employees who worked for the company who did drive electric cars and plug-in hybrids uh, who would have greatly benefited from that. Um, You know, it it is one of those things. And it's one of those things, too, where you look at companies like ChargePoint and Electrify America who want to install these chargers in as many places as possible. They want to get into more neighborhoods uh, that are along highways and popular roads. And, you know, it's surprising that they aren't doing even more outreach to sell these things to other people. Uh, I'm thinking of the part-time job I have right now. I work at a movie theater. Uh, This movie theater chain does have electric vehicle chargers at some of their locations, uh, but not at one that is on uh, a very well-traveled thoroughfare. They could bring in probably a lot of people uh, to go park out there, you know, throw their car on the charger, come on in, see Frozen 2 for an hour and a half, go back out to their car, uh, get the car off the charger and continue on their way. And whether that's a Tesla supercharger or it's an Electrify America thing with Volkswagen or it's whatever, uh, it seems like there are smart choices that could be made there. And I don't know why they haven't looked into it. Maybe I got to talk to my boss. Maybe I got to talk to somebody in corporate. Who knows? But it's just weird. So all of that being considered, you know, I, I currently don't have a car, unfortunately. Uh, I'm thinking of different ways to replace my 2011 uh, Ford Fiesta. Uh, One of the vehicles that we looked at a while ago for my girlfriend was a 2015 BMW i3. It was one without the range extender. Uh, The car has an electric vehicle range, I think, of just over 100 miles, but with, like, you know, temperatures flexing and different use of the HVAC, optimally you're looking at about 80 to 85 miles uh, in most conditions. That, in my case right now, living uh, really close to my job, wouldn't be something that would be difficult to overcome. Uh, I could very easily probably go a week or more without having to charge the car uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, But, you know, like I said, I live in an apartment. There's not an easy way to just trickle charge it while it's parked in the driveway. But a new community has opened up close to us uh, that offers similarly sized apartments with similar levels of accoutrement, Uh, with similar uh, square footage for, you know, basically the same price. And they do have single-stall garages included uh, with your apartment rent. And in that single-stall garage, they do offer uh, electric electric, uh, outlets, so you could charge your electric car uh, with 110, or excuse me, (coughs) 120 volts, which, you know, on a trickle charge, again, not very fast. I think it would take what? It's like two or three days to charge a Tesla from zero to 100% on a trickle charger. Um, But like some electric cars, like thinking of uh, the Chevy Volt, I think it's like 14 hours from zero to full uh, with that particular car. Is it 14 or is it seven or eight? I get confused. Anyway, uh, most electric cars, you know, if if you're driving less than 20 miles round trip day to day, you bring it back home, you throw it on the wall charger, you're getting about four miles uh, per hour of charging, uh, that would be enough to, you know, probably top off what you did the night before, just 
charging overnight at home. Uh, that's the way you're quote unquote supposed to do it, according to car companies like Honda. Uh, <coughs> all in all, you know, not a bad way to go. But uh, Ashley's brother, uh, who's been investigating these apartments, I was uh, I said to him like, "Hey, can you ask them if they would ever install a 240 charger uh, in in the garage?" And apparently this apartment company said, yeah, that's no problem. We would do it if it, if it's something that you needed to do whatever. And that blew me away that they were totally fine with the idea of installing a 240-volt outlet in the garage uh, for you to charge your electric car. That's unprecedented. I mean, granted, there are, you know, some places in Grand Rapids, apartment complexes and townhomes that do have electric chargers built in. But to hear a place that's just being built for the first time, hearing about a place that, you know, is looking for new tenants, they they are totally fine with the idea of installing a 240-volt charger. Uh, that's that's awesome. That's crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I was blown away when I heard about that. So all things considered, you know, uh, we're going to hopefully go look at these apartments in the not-too-distant future. Uh, you know, maybe we can try to line something up for... Uh, later in the summer, and hopefully maybe me getting an electric car isn't out of the range of options at that point. But if that's the case, that dramatically changes what I'm looking at for a new car uh, in 2020. And I'm very excited because if we can make it work, if my job situation turns out, if we can have an electric vehicle charger from home, uh, your boy is going to try to get a BMW i3. I can guarantee it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at right now. Anyway, uh, after the bump, we'll kind of wrap things up here uh, at the end of the show. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Hazelake, and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S. Or excuse me, it's no longer slash yss oh my god it's anchor.fm slash salvage title wow i just kicked into old episode of the show mode there um we do post this episode or this episode and many other episodes on a wide variety of podcasting platforms including apple itunes spotify google podcasts and so much more so if you aren't subscribed make sure you smash that subscribe button thanks Saf. uh you can always give us a rating to let us know how we're doing and recommend episodes to your friends and family who see it online that's always appreciated as well so uh yeah all that considered guys we are in slow news territory oh my god it feels weird doing an automotive podcast at some points in time uh with how bad things have been without the detroit auto show uh but we do have the grand rapids auto show coming up in a couple of weeks uh that would be a good time for me to get up close and personal with things like the hyundai venue and the new sonata which i'm very excited to see uh check out the updates on the new nissan or excuse me the updated nissan titan uh maybe get a little more uh attention put on uh the new ford escape uh thinking of well hopefully my favorite car ever the lexus lc will be there as well uh all told you know it's a good little show to get up close and personal with some cars so i'm pretty excited to see what ends up showing up uh the chicago auto show will be i think the week after that which i think is the second week of february uh so assuming things are lining up the way that a lot of people are expecting it to 
the Chicago Auto Show should have some interesting debuts, at least in terms of cars and crossovers. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, again, one of those things where it's hard to know for sure what's going to end up happening. Uh, but all said, you know, we'll make do as we go. And if something new or interesting breaks that's uh, worth checking out, uh, definitely we will touch on it in another episode of the show. So until then, guys, I hope you have a good rest of your week. Drive safe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.